Coaches, welcome to this episode of the Mesh Point Podcast. We're excited to share a new sponsor for this season, Watch Game Film. The simple way to watch, exchange, and manage game film. We understand that ease of use is paramount to productivity, so our platform provides you and your team with the right video solution so you can focus on the game you love. Our intuitive player includes instant replay, slow motion, play loop, rewind, and more. Plus, our platform includes video telestration and commenting features, enabling you to convey clear coaching points to your staff and athletes. When it comes to sharing and trading film, our XL platforms offers many ways to exchange with your friends, conference, or opponents, even if they're using other film management systems. Plus, we make it easy to communicate with your own team with the ability to message user groups, individual teams, or even contacts outside your team. We know the importance of highlight reels for athletes and recruiters. A highlight tool allows athletes and teams to create the ultimate highlight reel and show their talent to the world. So what about costs? Our packages start at just $100 a year or 50 bucks per season for on-screen and in-text. That includes unlimited film and unlimited users. Our mission is to help coaches and athletes succeed without forcing them to spend limited funds on overpriced software. Ready to get started? Go to watchgamefilm.com. Again, that's watchgamefilm, all one word, .com to discover how watching and exchanging and managing film can be both simple and affordable. This episode is sponsored by GameStrat. If you're in the need of a sideline replay system, look no further than GameStrat. GameStrat has the fastest sideline replay system on the market, and they provide 24-7 customer support. Their systems can be used for multiple sports, like football, basketball, and volleyball. Bottom line, making in-game adjustments equals winning more games. Go check out GameStrat on Twitter, at GameStrat, or on the web at www.gametimestrategy.com. We'd also like to mention a new sponsor of the podcast this year, Just Play Solutions. I know most of you know about Just Play and how they can take your game preparation to the next level. From scout cards to player quizzing to installs, Just Play provides coaches with football playbook and game planning tools to prepare faster and engage with today's athlete. Make it a party to check out Just Play this offseason before your league opponents do. Visit www.justplaysolutions.com, sign up for a free demo, and let them know we sent you. All right, welcome to the Mesh Point Podcast. Tonight we're really excited to have Coach Tony DeMeo. Uh, Coach, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing super. Uh, couldn't be better. Well, I, I know you're retired now, and I know that's going well, but uh, tell the listeners about your background, kind of, you know, where you played, kind of how you got your journey started for those that don't know you, and uh, maybe talk about uh, what you're doing now in retirement. Well, uh, you know, I started in uh, playing in high school and had a – a great experience. I mean, we, we played, uh, we, we went undefeated my senior year and I played, uh, I went both ways. I was a uh, wing back in the wing tee and a D back. And, uh, but if anybody got hurt in the sec- in the, on the defense, the head coach moved me to that spot in the middle of the game. And I have to f- kind of figure it out by myself because I never practiced it. You know, I was just like the, uh, if somebody got hurt, I wound up at their spot. Fortunately, it was never a deep tackle. <laughs> I played linebacker a little bit. I played safeties, strong safety, free safety. But I really started at corner, and I started at wingback. And when I went to college, um, I, I played at Iona College, 
mm-hmm. and I was uh, a D-back uh, on an undefeated. Uh, we went undefeated my senior year in high school and undefeated at Iona my sophomore year, and I was a starting D-back on that team. And then uh, I really kind of proved I couldn't play D-back, so they moved me back to tailback, and I played tailback my last two years there. I tailback. And, um, you know, I had a good career there, and I was coached by a real, very good coach. The only thing is he said I was small but made up for it by being slow. <laughs> and that, he said, you didn't really run to daylight. Daylight somehow found you. But I was like an eye tailback that could slither his way through the, the line and pick up a few yards. So and then after I got done, I really I, – I, I didn't know that I wanted a coach, but I was – I started uh, – I was. I wanted to be a history teacher because uh, I really loved history. I wanted to be a history teacher and coach at a high school. That was my goal. And then, uh, so the head. Co- I, I I was a permanent sub one year out of high school. Uh, one year out of college, and coached with the football team. Well, the head coach said to me at the end of the year, he said, "Listen, I want to run the wishbone." He said, uh, "I said, well, I don't, I don't know the wishbone. I was." Um, and I tailback in, in college. I mean, I don't know. I know toss right, toss left, but no, no, no wishbone. So I did what any normal guy would do as I wrote a letter to Daryl Royal yeah. and said, you know, I would like to learn the wishbone and explain my situation. And I was too stupid not to do that. You know, I just didn't know enough that you don't write Daryl Royal and ask him for his playbook or whatever so he, he he was he invited me down to their spring practice, wow. and I went down. I just went down. I had you know I was a substitute teacher. I had no, I wasn't married. Had no expenses or anything. So I just went down there, and he treated me like his long lost nephew. He opened his offices to me. He opened the practice to me, and I was down there for about almost two weeks. And he really took great care of me. I mean. Uh, I would go to the office in the morning at 7 a.m. and meet and just sit in on all the coaches' meetings and everything. And I took uh, almost, uh, I'd say about eight legal pads worth of notes and uh, just absorbed the wishbone from him. And he would talk to me on the field during practice. He'd come up and talk to me on the field and uh, ask me if I was being taken care of and everything. And he had a great coaching staff. Fred Akers was his offensive coordinator at the time. Mm-hmm. Who later became the head coach at Texas, and he treated me great. You know, as a matter of fact, we even watched the Ali Norton fight together in oh, 1973. Wow. Wow. And then, uh, so anyway, I, I learned the wishbone, uh, vanilla wishbone, because that's what they ran. Is and they, their fullback was a guy named Roosevelt Weeks at the time, who was outrageously good. And visiting Texas was Earl Campbell. I mean, so he was he was bringing in a slew of great players. Anyway, so I get back to New York, and uh, I had messages from uh, Pace University and Fordham University if I wanted to be a, an, an assistant coach there because the head coaches there had been uh, assistant coaches that I owned when I played. Gotcha. So Fordham was going to pay more, but Pace had the Giants training there with uh, Bill Arnsvarg was the head coach then. So I, I chose Pace, and I went there and, and coached uh, running backs, and, but I shadowed Bill Arnsbarger. If he took a step to the right, I took a step to the right. If he took a step to the left, I took a step to the left. I watched all their practices. 
I, if I wasn't doing something for pace, I was in their office trying to figure their, you know, just learn as much football as possible. So I did that for two years. And then um, all of a sudden I get a call from Iona College that their head coach had been fired. And would I be interested? And of course I was, would be interested. Um, I didn't know that about 12 people had turned the job down before I got the call. Uh, I, I mean, they, they interviewed a bus driver, a paper boy, and then I think me. That was, I think that was and uh, so anyway, I took the job, and I, I was the youngest head college football coach in the country at 25 years old. So, I mean, I say I was like, I hired all older coaches, high school, ex, uh, high school coaches that really knew what they were doing because I certainly didn't. But uh, we put in the wishbone. I didn't have a quarterback. Not, I didn't have anybody who had played quarterback on the roster because the quarterback they had had flunked out. Put in the wishbone, put in a D-back at quarterback at, who could read the, the play, and we shortened the game to as much as possible. We picked last in the conference. We finished second. And now, here, here, I know one of the questions that you guys are going to ask me is mentors. Right. Well, one of my mentors, Daryl Royal, I could count as a mentor because that's where I learned the wishbone. But a guy who really had a big influence on me was in the next cubicle from me at Iona. And you might know him. Uh, his name was Jim Valvano. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. He was the head basketball coach, and I was the head football coach. He was 29. I was 25. And we talked endlessly about strategy, about winning. And here's, here's some of the things he, he, that I always remember. Every game has a formula for winning. Now, these are his words, whether it be Monopoly, Parcheesi, basketball, or football. There's a formula that you have to learn on how to win that game. That's number one. The second thing he said was, he who controls the pace wins the race. Okay. He said, you have to control the pace of the game. He said, that's your job as a head coach. And the third thing was, the only lead that matters is at the end of the game. You can trail the whole game, but if you, went, if you lead it at the end of the game when the, when the whistle blows, you win. He said, it's not like war, which is – goes on until somebody gives up and it ends. It's a, it's a finite game. It ends when the clock says it ends. And he said, so the only lead you have to worry about is the one that's at the end of 60 minutes. And those were really important things for me, especially when I was operating without a quarterback. So what we did was we shortened every game to a crawl. Like we, we normally games have, each team has 75 plays or 70 plays. We were having – both teams having 120 combined because I was slowing the game down to a crawl because I didn't have an offense that we could go punch for punch with a, a team. with. So we slowed the game down and won on defense. And that was, a, that was a big lesson. And then the next year we tied for the conference championship. My third year there we went undefeated. Now we had the best players, and now the pace changed. And we went pedal to the metal until we had a lead and then slowed it down. So you hear these people talk about tempo. Tempo is like a hammer. You don't use it on a screw. You don't, you don't use it to, uh, to uh, mount a window. 
You know, it's a, it's a tool and it doesn't, these people that say, well, we're high tempo. Well, what happens if you're playing a, a superior team? That high tempo is like trying to put a, your uh, a fire out with gasoline. Right. It, it just doesn't work. Yeah. So anyway, those were, those, that was a key that my time at Iona, I really learned uh, a lot and a lot from a basketball coach, Jim Valvano. Wow. And then uh, from there, I went to the University of Pennsylvania, and uh, Harry Gamble was the head coach there. And I was I ran the offense, and he uh, he taught me a lot. I mean, he by the time I got to Penn, I I knew how to coach, but Harry Gamble taught me how to be a coach, mm. and that was invaluable. And then he left Penn and became the CEO, president, general manager of uh, the Philadelphia Eagles. And I went on, and I, I went to Mercier's College and started the football program from scratch. It was an all-girls school at one, a few years earlier. And after our first couple of practices, I wasn't sure that they still weren't an all-girls school. But, <laughs> but, but we had, we, again, we, we had great success right off the bat. We went 4-2-1 and one my first year there playing a varsity schedule. And uh, then by the fourth year, we beat Widener at Widener with – the great Bill Manlove uh, as the head coach there. And Bill Manlove uh, was actually instrumental for me going to Penn. He had seen me coach at Iona and recommended me to Harry Gamble without me knowing it. And that's how Harry got in touch with me. But uh, we beat Widener at Widener. It was their first home loss in eight years. And they were number one in the country. And then the following year, we beat Dayton at Dayton, who was a Division three power at the time. And it was their only home loss ever to a Division three school. And so we had great success at Mercier's, and I, I really enjoyed it there. And then I went on, and I was – my next big mentor was Tubby Raymond. And Tubby – I coached with Tubby in uh, uh, 1989, and he hired me to put the triple option in with the wing tee. And uh, he – I coached quarterbacks there, and uh, – wide receivers, and tight ends. I coached the receivers and the quarterbacks. And I had a great experience. But I put the triple option in there, but I learned way more from Tubby than I ever imparted. I mean, he is a coaching genius. Yeah, This he, guy knew every aspect of the game. Yeah, and his sidekick was Ted Kemsky, yeah. who was just a genius as well. I mean, those guys, I learned more football from them. Because what we used to do is every lunch, go for an hour walk. Tubby, Ted, and I, and I would get back to the office and put in a notebook everything I could remember that they said. And it was like, it was like going to grad school, really. Yeah. I mean, those guys really knew the game, and, and uh, we had a great, great year. And then, uh, you know, it was at uh, uh, James Madison with Joe Przicki after that as their offense coordinator, and, and we had a, a good run there. And then I went to uh, UMass with Jim Reed. And from Jim, from UMass, I went to Murray State uh, out in western in Kentucky. And then from there, I went to Washburn. And Washburn is where I put in the, uh, the gun triple. Before that, I was running – I went from Wishbone to Flexbone in 1976. And then I stayed in that all the way up until uh, 1997 uh, – 1998, pardon me. And I – in 1998, we struggled with uh, Central Missouri head coach Willie Fritz, who's now at Tulane, 
and they they would they were blitzing us and we couldn't pick up the blitzes under center and that's when i decided to go to the gun and then we went to the gun and and had and like that's what i we ran the triple option of the gun to the rest of my career and never never went back under center but uh i know we i was at richmond after uh, washburn i was at richmond for a couple of years and then uh interesting there as to get the place I really wanted to go, I got a call out of a clear blue sky from Jackie Sherrill at Mississippi State. Now, Jackie Sherrill's college roommate had visited us when I was at Washburn, put the triple gun in, and wound up winning the state championship. So he told Jackie Sherrill about this. He was intrigued, and I wound up going down there and spending a few days with him and but I had already been offered the job at Richmond, and my, and my daughter lived in Maryland at the time. So uh, my wife wanted to go to Richmond, and had I been single, I'd have been, at, I'd have been in Starksville, believe me. Right. But I wound up going to, to Richmond and uh, staying there a couple of years, and that's, I guess, the time when uh, I had Stacey Tutt at quarterback when you were at William & Mary. And then after that, I wound up at the University of Charleston where I finished up, and Again, my first year, they were picked dead last in the conference, and we finished second. I mean, so I, if I ever needed validation about the triple gun offense, that was it. Because that year, we were so bad, Kevorkian was the team doctor. <laughs> I mean, we, they, 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 we had had – I mean, our offense – we had five offensive linemen. The starting right tackle was the mascot the year before. Uh, he was the Golden Eagle the year before. I happened to see this big guy in the hallway. He wasn't in the weight room. I said, hey, how come you're not in the weight room? He said, oh, I'm not a player. I'm the mascot. And I said, well, do they pay you to be the mascot? No. I said, well, I'll pay to play football. And he went down the weight room and wound up starting at right tackle. Wow. So, wow. Yeah, so we, had, we had great luck there. And then uh, I was there six years, and we won more games in those six years. And any time in school history. So, uh, again, we were picked last and finished second. We, they'd gone eight, three and eight the year before and went eight and three my year, first year. So it was the biggest turnaround in conference history. And that's, that's the story behind the story. And I can tell you, uh, it, was, it's, it was a fun ride. I was a head college coach for 25 years. I spent just under 40 in the uh, coaching college football and had a ball. Man, what a journey. That's awesome, man. To have, you know, Daryl Royal and Jim Valvano as, as guys that helped you along the way. I mean, that's that's unbelievable. Not a lot of guys can really really say that or talk about it. Uh, I, I'll tell you what, I had so many guys. I mean, Sam Reticliano was right. a big mentor to me because he he my college coach gave Sam his first job. And Sam Reticliano kind of took me under his wing. I mean, he guided me in a lot of things. He was a reference for me. And uh, he was a mentor, uh, talked to me a lot about family and football, you know, how you had to balance it and stuff. Because, you know, when you're a young coach, you want to, you know, you're, you're going 100 miles an hour in one way. And, you know, that can't always be good. So Sam really brought me bent down to earth about that. And then another mentor that is, like, almost unbelievable that this happened, uh, I was in Dallas, Texas, and I got a call. I, I was – at the convention and I had, it was at the time when you could recruit during the convention. Mm -hmm. So I was recruiting, I was at Washburn at the time. And uh, so I had a, about six visits, home visits that I made 
get back to the hotel. And, you know, after, Matt, you know this, after six home visits, you want to just lay in bed. You know what I mean? Yeah. I get a call from uh, uh, Barry Terranova, and he said, hey, listen, you're not at the, you're going to the dinner tonight? I said, no. He said, hey, can you have dinner with us? You know, um, Travis Davis, myself, and uh, a guy, another guy, and we need you to talk football with him. I said, I, I said, Barry, I said, I, you know, I just got out of my jacket and tie. I'm just going to lay in bed. I really don't want to come. He said, well, the other guy's Bill Walsh. I said, I'll be right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I would have crawled on crushed glass to get there. Yeah. So anyway, I, I got dressed. I, and they took us to a real fancy restaurant in Dallas where the menu cost more than my car, you know, the, the leather menu. Yeah. And anyway, uh, so I, I spent the night with them. And we talked football nonstop. And uh, I didn't have the guts to really take notes, but I wish I did. But at the end of the night, he says to me, now you're speaking in Fort Worth, aren't you, for the American Football Monthly uh, Clinic? And I said, yeah, I am. And he says, well, why don't you come down a day early and we'll spend the day together. Uh-huh, that's awesome. So I went down there and I and, uh, went to a suite in the hotel. And uh, in the meeting was was Sam Ritigliano, Brian Billick, Terry Donahue, and another guy from the NFL that I don't remember his name. Wow. And we just talked football nonstop. He had lunch brought in. And I took about, again, about five legal pads worth of notes and, w- and didn't talk. I mean, I just sat there and listened. So I, you only know me for a little bit. For me not to talk, I had to be pretty impressed. <laughs> and uh, – and anyway, he, 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 they were so good. And every once in a while, Bill Walsh would say to me, what do you think of that, Tony? And like that. And, uh, you know, I would put throw in my two cents. But uh, it was a great experience. And Bill Walsh was, I mean, every, he saw me one other time after that before he passed away. And he just hugged me and put his arm around me and talked to me and uh, talked Italian food with me because his wife was Italian. And... Uh, just hit it off you know i mean we just hit it off i mean and then he passed away and he said to me he said hey listen if you ever need a phone call i'm your guy and i never 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 played that that card but uh he was just so nice to me i couldn't believe it so he was a big mentor too because he changed you know i thought i knew the passing game pretty well before i met him but i was like a neophyte and really under really he really taught me uh, how to throw the ball in, in a high percentage. And after that, our offense really took over. From that point on, we never finished below third in our conference in passing. And as a matter of fact, at Charleston, my quarterback, uh, my, one of my quarterbacks, Durante Hunter, to this day still has the Division two record for uh, pass efficiency for quarterback. Wow. So, he, But that was the Bill Walsh influence. And uh, he loved the wishbone, too. He loved the triple option. He asked me, how do I, how do I coach the, 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 uh, the triple option? I told him, give unless, you know, I use right. unless rules. Yeah. And he said, that's exactly the way I teach the passing game. Throw here, unless, and then here. And uh, it was just really, a really great experience. And so many things, uh, I hear announcers on television talk about the West Coast offense, and I kind of chuckle because that's exactly the opposite of what he told me. Right. Like he told me, Protection is everything, and don't throw hot if you don't have to because your quarterback's going to get drilled. Mm-hmm. And he said, you 
Joe Montana wasn't worth six yards to me on any play. So that's why they didn't throw hot. They used to always add to the protection rather than throw hot if he could. Right. So anyway, that was another mentor. Yeah. And, 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 uh, I mean, thought route steps and timing with the quarterbacks is un- unbelievable. Um, I, I, uh, just, just unbelievable stuff. Um, well, he said a pattern should open up like a Venetian blind. Yeah. So in other words, the patterns can't open up at the same time because you can't throw two places at once. Right. So they they have to open up in a sequence, like a Venetian blind opening up. Yeah. So it was really it was really good a good uh, couple of good sessions with him. Yeah. What what a treasure, man! Wow. It's awesome that you got to do that because you know that. When those guys that – I mean, really, I mean, when they transcend football and you have a chance to talk with them, you know, you only have a certain time frame, right? And unfortunately for him, it was even shorter. Right, right. And just to be able to, you know, sit in a room and pick his brain and listen to him explain and talk, it's, it's you know, that's priceless. So that's awesome. Well, Valvano kept in touch with me the whole time. He was in North Carolina and then on, you know, we – if, if I had a big win, he would always drop me a note, yeah. you know. So, I mean, then, of course, I was with him on Memorial Day weekend. Uh, he was doing, believe it or not, he was doing a USFL game, sideline guy. And uh, we were t- we, so we were talking, you know, just busting his horns a little bit. And uh, he, uh, two weeks later, I get a call from a gal who was our secretary at Iona telling me how sick Jimmy was. I said, no, he can't be because I just saw him two weeks ago. And that's when they found out he had – he had he was having back trouble. But he never thought it was cancer. But it was in his spine. Yeah. And uh, I was just – I was devastated. But he he insisted he was going to beat it. He said, don't worry about it. I'll beat this. This is nothing. Yeah. So, in a way, he did. Because he started the V Foundation. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? In his yeah. own way, he did. Yeah, he sure but I've did. never been able to watch that Espy speech yeah. again. I saw it once, and that was the end. You know, I just couldn't bring myself to watch it ever again. Yeah, yeah, I can. I can completely understand. Um, but just how cool is this, man? Uh, to you, you know, you talk to other option guys, and they're like, you know, I'm influenced by Paul Johnson, or you know, somebody within the triple option family. But you know, here we're talking to Coach DeMeo, and he's. He's talking about Daryl Royal, Tubby Raymond, Bill Walsh, and a daggum basketball coach influenced him. You know what I mean? Like, how cool is that? <laughs> yeah. That's so cool. What a history lesson, well, man. Well, I'm going to give you one other guy that is, and you'll never guess in a million years, was Miles Davis, jazz trumpet player. Yeah. Because here's, here's, here was my idea of offense. Is I wanted offense, the play to look familiar. But – at the snap of the ball to change everything. I wanted, like, for example, we boot off our three-step game. The three-step mm-hmm. side is covered, quarterback boots and escapes. Yeah. So it turns into a whole different play. It turns into a sprint out. On the, on the, uh, on the triple, on the gun triple, we always have a, a built-in pass. Before they, I didn't know they were, uh, it was, we, I was doing that before I ever heard the term RPO. I just wasn't smart enough to figure that little gimmick out. <laughs> right. But but we we always had the op- the quarterback always had an option 
eight between the slots, throw quicks and hots. So in other words, if you pack the box between our slots, then I know the, that the, the wideout's one-on-one with the corner. Mm-hmm. And the quarterback always has the option of throwing it out there to him. And uh, even and he doesn't audible to it. It just happens as part of the play. Everybody else runs gun triple. And uh, that's, that's been a, that was a big help to us because it kept an eight-man front spread out. Mm-hmm. They couldn't take that Will Backer and make him a run defender mm-hmm. because we throw flash to the cows. And see, here's another thing I believe in. Make tackle guys cover and make cover guys tackle. Yeah. Tackle guy is a guy who does shrugs all day in the weight room and blows his nose on the floor. Right. A cover guy is a guy who wears wristbands and combs his hair before he puts his helmet on. Right. You want those guys tackling. You want the, the uh, shruggers to run and cover. Yeah, yeah. So, we were always trying to. We were always, <laughs> we were always trying to do the uh, converse of that, coach. Right. So, you know, we're trying to, you know, try for you not to have to make our guys run around. They couldn't run around. It was always what, a challenge. That was the other thing. Is that like. Um, uh, we said we we wanted. I always wanted started the game running wide. And the reason is is because I wanted um, uh, put speed in space and make the big guys chase because I want to take their legs away. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I wanted them to do pursuit drill for for a little bit before I ran at them. I know that sounds crazy, but. That's from growing up in Matt. That's from growing up in the Bronx. Yeah, yeah. The Bronx, they, used to, they used to say, "Get them drunk for three quarters and mug them in the fourth. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great quote. I like that one. I wrote that one down. That's a good one. Well, Coach, how about let's do this? Let, let, let's take you back to nineteen. Well, let's go nineteen ninety eight into. 1999 right so you're under center flex bone you talked about you know some issues with right and trying to pick it up and you know of course you know kids are getting frustrated quarterbacks probably get you're getting everybody's getting frustrated so I really you know I really want the listeners to understand you know you made the transition right so you you took your flex bone principles and you know you had to sit down and really try to figure it out, right? So we're going to put it in gun and go. So talk about it. Here's what happened is uh, in 1998, Willie Fritz had a great defense. He was at Central Missouri. Now, meanwhile, in 1998, the interesting thing is we set the school total offense record that year. But Willie Fritz had me stymied because, see, We've, we always threw the ball, even in the flex bone, a lot, way more than normal. We threw the quick game out of the flex bone and things like that. We threw the ball often out of the under center. But so a lot of our answers to what teams did came from the passing game. Well, when Willie takes the passing game away because we can't protect it, and what, the, the only place we could protect it was on the board, but we couldn't do it on the field because his defensive ends were really good. One of them got drafted in the third round. And he was, he was beating our, our fullback's block. Mm. And the linebackers, if we didn't block it that way, the linebacker would beat the fullback. You know, he'd walk up into A-gap, and the fullback couldn't get there to block him. If we blocked down, 
that put the fullback on a guy he couldn't handle. Mm-hmm. So we were we were in a, a bind here. You know, they were smothering us. And uh, I, I knew that, you know, coaches are the biggest copycats in the world. I knew he did this. Now, this was later in the season. Well, somebody else was going to do it. I mean, and we I had no answer at that point. So what we did, we had an off week, and we, we went to – we put in the gun for long yardage and, um, you know, two-minute situations. We got in the gun, but we had no running game except quarterback draw, basically. And I, I didn't – but it was a Band-Aid to get us through the year. And then after the year, I, I talked to Kevin Wilson, who was at uh, Northwestern at the time, and he was running the zone read. And I talked to Rich Rod, who was at WVU, I believe, at the time. Maybe not. He might have been somewhere else as an assistant. But anyway, I talked to those guys, and they were really into the zone read. But I really didn't like the zone read as a pound-em-out play because nobody really had an answer to squeeze and scrape. Right. Which is, I mean, you're you're a defensive guy. I guarantee you did squeeze and scrape against a, a triple option that's team. That's all we did until zone dive got invented. There you go. So that's what I'm saying. I mean, I didn't want – I'm from the school that I want to play that I can run no matter what you do. Mm-hmm. And and that wasn't it. So that spring, spring of 99, I said, listen, this is what we're going to do. We're going to take the, the triple option and just back it up into the gun. And then we'll be able to th- – because it's e- it'll be easier to throw from the gun – I mean, run from the gun than it is for- to throw in the center. Mm-hmm. And so that's spring. That's what we went into. And, and I, w- I couldn't have been more wrong in my life because – just because we backed it up, you couldn't use the same blocking because the blocks happened too fast. Mm-hmm. It didn't marry with the backfield action. By the time the guy got to the line of scrimmage in the gun – they were already off their blocks. You couldn't block it like you did on the center. And you couldn't aim at the cheek of the guard because it was too close to the handoff key. The handoff key would blow up the mesh because it took so long for the dive to get there. Mm-hmm. You follow? So I said, no, this isn't going to work <laughs> this way. So now I had, we had to come up with – and I was changing the blocking scheme every day. Our, our offensive line coach almost had a nervous breakdown. I think he did because he – He's coaching in Sweden now, so that I think he might have had one. But anyway, he was begging me to just go back to the traditional under center triple because we we led the conference in rushing and we did, we had a great year. But I said there, we we have no answer if they if they load the box midline wide veer you can run anything you want if they're if they load the box there's too many people for you to block you're only going to get if you block it great, you're going to get four yards. Yeah. So I said, no, you got to be able to throw the ball. So anyway, we fiddled around with this thing, and that's how we came up with smart splits. Yeah. You know, I yeah. said, yeah, you know, talk if, if you take wide splits, yeah. you take real wide splits, you can't double team because yeah. you're almost blocking against yourself when you try to double team. The wide splits work when you're under center, but not in the gun when you want to go double team. So we started doing these smart splits where you basically you're together when you double team and split when you're the you split to cre- seams and double teams you split yep. for seams yep. and you're together for double teams so that became our mantra seams and double teams 
And then the 13th practice of the spring, the light bulb went on, and we looked really, really good. And I said, wow, this is and, – and also I had a great tailback by the name of Brandon Rayner, who was recruited by Auburn and Mississippi and uh, Ole Miss. Noel, Noel Mazzoni recruited him, and he called me up and asked – but they couldn't get him in because of his uh, SATs. And he called me up and he said, do you want a great running back? And I said, yeah, I want a great running back. And, um, you know, Italians take care of each other. So he called me and sent me this kid, Brandon Rayner, who was – he was a tremendous player. And Brandon Rayner really taught me how the tailback in this offense should do it. And what he would do, he was an eye tailback in high school, and what he would do is read the backside backer. He'd read A-gap. If A-gap was closed and he saw the backside backer scraping over the top of the nose, he would just bend it back. He would see that he would make the cutback. Under center, you could never do that. Only in the gun can you do that. And also, your, your read has to be quick. So it gives him time to do that. If you ride in the side, you're dragging him into the line. He can't make that cut. Right. So it became a B-gap to B-gap play. And it became really, the first year we did it, we averaged 8.1 a try. I mean, I was like, and we were doing a little under center. I said, every time we go into center, we're wasting our time. This play is tremendous. So anyway, like when I was at Charleston, from that point on, we ran it 25 to 30 times a game from every conceivable formation. And uh, it became a, it, it just became a, a, a play that we could always run against. Everybody. This is how, how good it is. I had my we, – we'd go uh, read drill for 20 minutes a day. I'm sure you do that too, Matt. Yep. Uh, under center, right? Yes, sir. Well, we have to use the whole line because of the cutback and because of flash, the quick screen off it, which is always in play. And and what and so what what we did was on Tuesday and Wednesday we go five minutes of redrill ones versus ones, our one offense against our one defense, which was really good. Our defense was really talented. Sixty percent of my money went to defense. So anyway, uh, I would uh, we wouldn't script it. I'd let the deep. The, we only ran gun triple to the right or gun triple to the left, and I let the defensive coordinator call whatever defense he wanted. I didn't care. He knew what play we were running. He could call any play he wanted. And you know, the first couple times we did it, it was a disaster for the offense. But after that, our guys could block anything. Right. And it became a, just a, a tremendous play a play that we didn't need much of a running game other than that. So we spent the rest of the time throwing the ball and got really good at it. I don't know if that makes sense or not. Absolutely. <clears throat> Absolutely. Coach, can you talk a little bit about uh, uh, within the gun triple option, kind of like your core group of plays, um, you know, you know, under center teams, you know, they might use inside beer, midline rocket, something like that zone dive. What were your core group of plays that, uh, you know, you hang your hat on and got good at uh, within the gun well, triple option? Well, well, the gun triple combines the path of the tailback is the A-gap. So the, the gun triple combines midline, inside veer, and wide veer all in one play. Because you, you can it, – it, based on the defense, it works that way. And it also combines double option because – uh, if the handoff key is blocked, like say they jump into B-gaps with those smart splits, 
mm-hmm. and the handoff key is blocked, it becomes double option on the run. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the core play. But also we run uh, answer plays, like the zone dive is an answer play if the mic in a 4-3 is running all over the place. Or they're, they're you know, uh, running their inside backers out of there. Uh, the zone dive is an answer play. The jet sweep is an answer play to a heavy five technique or a four, uh, four technique that's squeezing and grabbing onto your tackle and not letting them get up to the linebacker. Those defensive guys, you got to watch them. They're tricky. <laughs> they'll grab you. They'll grab your veer tackle and just hang on to them. Oh, absolutely. But the jet sweep kills that. You know, I mean, you, they, yeah. they block themselves when they do that. Yeah. And when you run quarterback ISO against um, same principle as the eye bone, uh, easy to read, hard to block, mm-hmm. hard to read, easy to block. So the quarterback ISO is a great deal for this. And what makes it even better is that the quarterback has the same cutback rules as the tailback in gun triple. So in other words, if he sees he's back, he runs it like an eye tailback. So it's just like the eye bone. And that became a devastating combination. So the gun triple, quarterback ice, jet sweep. We run quarterback ice off the triple and off the jet sweep. And those are the core runs. And then we run a half reverse off that as an answer to them squeezing backside. And then built into the play is the flash. So those are our core runs. And then then we throw the quick game. Hitch, you know, a hitch seam, and there's always a boot off it, um, fade stick, you know, those com- typical combinations. And then with a boot to the the other way, if it's covered, and then we throw a play-action pass, and the big play-action pass we throw is a little stretch pass or seam pass, you know, right down the middle of the field against cover two or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, and we run a crossing routes where we have action going one way and crossing back the other way. And we do the same play action passes off the jet sweep and off gun triple. So, you know, you don't have to teach a lot. And uh, that's really about it except for the formations. My playlist, you know, like Paul Johnson has an if, and, or butt list. And I see some of these other guys have basically a a loosely folder on the sideline with all these plays. (laughs) I had a, my playlist was on an index card, a laminated index card, and all it was was odd formations like empty bunch or unbalanced taco, which was tackles over, you know, six deep offensive linemen, things that I had to remember to use and to get into that, you know, that we were going to use that game. And, uh, you know, that, and then we just played chess from there. All I want to do is see how they lined up to empty. And then I would, we ran gun triple from empty with motion coming back into the backfield. And it was a great, great play for us. But we also ran a thing called dragon, which again, had I called it RPO, I would have probably been better off financially. But <laughs> we called it dragon, which is, which is quarterback draw out of empty. But he had the option of throwing bubble. If, the, if there was five in the box, he ran quarterback draw. If there wasn't, he would look for the – he would, could throw bubble to the field. Mm-hmm. He could throw flash to the boundary. Mm-hmm. And then he had the option of, of, uh, call, of calling the seam pass like and read the, the backer. And his rule was if the backer comes, I throw. If the backer drops, I go. So we run it right over the middle where the 
that factor lines up and just read him. And uh, it was a great little series for us. We just line up and do it. And um, we got good at that. And our quarterback, the quarterback that broke all the records at uh, UC, I was the only guy in America that recruited him. He's from uh, Sarasota Booker High School. And he's 5'7", 175 pounds. Now, I liked him because of the pictures. We always took pictures together. I could put my arm around, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but one of, our, one of our writers in Charleston said, how are you going to start a 5'7 quarterback? I said, well, as long as he doesn't have to rebound, we'll be okay. That's right. <laughs> but, but you know what, Matt, the, the smart splits really helped him as a passer because he could throw in those passing lanes. Because of the splits, you know what I mean. Yeah. So he it never really it never bothered him being five seven, except in the dating world. But on the field, it never really bothered him. Yeah. And actually, in the dating world, he made out pretty well. He also, but well, <laughs> well, coach, I I've definitely benefited from and learned from the from you about the smart splits, man. That's that's a a big part of what I do for sure. Another thing uh, you didn't mention was your short yardage goal line package and the hammer package, man. I'm, I'm a big fan of that. Well, the hammer, hammer came around, uh, interestingly enough, because I inherited tight ends and fullbacks, fullback types, which didn't really fit my offense. You know what I mean? We, like our uh, dive back was a fullback, but, you, but nobody – wants to play fullback except guards so i called him a tailback but he was really like a fullback in a, a flex bone kind of deal you know what i mean mm -hmm. just backed off the line but we interestingly we recru started recruiting eye tailbacks because they could read that b gap to b gap run better than a, a wishbone or flex bone fullback that's used to running a crease mm -hmm. and what we're doing is creating a cavity for that guy to make a move in. So the hammer package, I had these tight ends and fullbacks. So I, uh, what I did was I put the tight ends back in the hammer position or a fullback, and then I used six or seven offensive linemen. My first year, I didn't have that many, so I used tight ends and then the fullbacks in the back. But once I got more linemen, I would use just linemen and then big guys in the back. As a matter of fact, one year I even had a linebacker playing in the back who's just an insane guy, Joey <laughs> Lindemarud. I mean, he was like – he would hit anything that moved, you know what I mean? Yeah. He was just a, a, a just a hitter, you know what I mean? He was he must, he was a heavyweight wrestling champ and 100-yard dash champ in West Virginia one in the God. same year. Yeah. And he was – yeah. And it, I'm going to tell you one quick story. I recruited another wrestling champion the next year. Uh, this guy, Aaron Dunlap, who's a, a, a little lower, 178-pound state champ. So being the, the smart recruiter that I am, I figured, wouldn't that be a good idea to pair the two wrestlers up? On a visit. Right? One from one year and one from the other year. Right. And uh, everybody said, oh, yeah, that's a great idea, Coach. So I have Joey Lindemuth showing this kid Aaron Dunlap around. And uh, – I send him off, you know, I give him the, the kid the, his uh, meal money, whatever, you know, to take the kid out. And uh, so anyway, about 20 minutes later, I leave the office with some of the other coaches, and I go out, and there's a little crowd around, I notice, over in, on the lawn. 
know what I'm saying? What's going on over there? Go over there. It's Linda Mood and Dunlap wrestling. <laughs> so, <laughs> not real good. Yeah, Twenty minutes into the visit, they're in a half Nelson, right? Not <laughs> <laughs> now breaking the zone. I had one other funny story while I'm while I'm thinking about it about wrestling. I go to Mercer's College and and obviously I'm recruiting the first class and we played a varsity schedule my first year there. Oh. So I'm looking, you know, I said, well, are there any guys on campus? I, I put the word out for guys to sign up to play from guys on campus. And there was one kid that was on the crew team there that I actually recruited when I was at Penn, who's a really good fullback from Ohio. So he comes. Then there was another guy who played basketball there, 6'4", 215, could run like a deer, and had the longest arms I've ever seen on a human. And uh, so he's – I mean, I'm thinking he's a great – linebacker because you thrown over his head you know and he could run so well and everything so anyway at, at, in, at the end of the year he he, he had a, a, a 2-4 gpa but he only passed 22 hours so he had to go to summer school to pick up two hours he could you know you know you could take anything in summer school just to get hours so he comes into my office and he says coach i i, I decided i'm not coming back to school because i'm gonna have to go to summer school i said his name was jimmy i said jimmy you could take you know, two hours anywhere. You could do basket weaving. You could do anything for two hours. And he said, yeah, I know, but I, I want to get into boxing. My dad has some connections and I can make a hundred dollars around sparring. I said, are you crazy? You told me you wanted to be a coach. You're going to get your brain scrambled, you know, in boxing. And uh, he said, yeah, I know, but I, I want to give it a shot. I said, I don't think you should, but you know, I'll, I'll support you. We shook hands. Uh, his name was Jimmy Buster Douglas. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. He wanted no to kidding. Yeah, honestly, honest. And uh, so he goes on and obviously becomes a heavyweight champ, knocks out Mike Tyson. Wow. And uh, signed <laughs> for $340 million to fight Evander Holyfield, which is a little more than he would have made coaching probably. I don't, I don't know how much he would have made. never take career advice from me. Either one of you, Tony, you or Matt. Don't take career advice from me. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> what a great story, man. <laughs> hey, I wanted to ask one thing um, real quick. When when you were transitioning um, from honor center to gun, from from a, um, a coaching, assistant coaching eyes standpoint, the things you were looking for in a game, was it the same stuff, coach, like – you know, backside back or where the safety's fit and is it three to exchange? Were you looking at the same stuff from under center? Or, you know, you're That's asking a, your guys? At first, yeah. And then we figured out that really all we had to know is where they lined up. Okay. And, and, and here's the other thing we did, Matt, is we practiced against every defense and every stunt every day. Yeah. We, went, we, we used the same script where we were playing a 3-4, 4-4, 4-3, didn't matter because what what teams played against their previous opponents didn't matter. They weren't going to usually play that against us. Right. Mean, Fairmont had a, a really good coach, Michael Lopez, who's um, Jeff Castile's protege. Mm -hmm. And he's a 3-3 guy, you know, master of the 3-3. Fairmont played a 3-3 against everybody. They played against us my first year there, and we torched them. We beat them 30-5. to and they were, they were supposed to be much better than us. And uh, that was the last time we ever saw a 3-3 three, 
three three from them the rest of the time I was there. And I've even I even talked to him about it, you know, since I retired and and he said, Well, we just couldn't we couldn't stop your base play. If you can't stop that, you're in trouble. Yep. So um, that was the thing. We didn't know from game to game. We even played a team <laughs> my last year at Charleston, we played a team that showed up in a gap eight. Oh wow. The first play from Scrooge we were in a gap eight, and we hit, we had gun triple called, and everybody just blocked down, pitched off the end man, and he he went he went almost to scored. Yeah. And then we scored in two plays on the first drive, and they were in a gap eight. So I told the offense coordinator in the booth, I said, I said, uh, be prepared for something different in the second. They're not going to show up in that again. I'll be darned if they did. They wow. showed up again, and I had. I didn't think they were, and I had Hitch called. So we throw Hitch seam, and there's nobody on the scene. Right. And he, he they, that kid's still running. <laughs> so now so we're up 14 nothing. They go three and out. We're getting the ball back up 14 nothing with about seven minutes to go in the quarter. So I said to the guy in the booth, I said, listen, there's no way they're going to be in a, a gap eight again. And he said, I know, we're ready, you know. It's, so I said, all right. So we got some – I'll be darned if they didn't come out a third time. We're up 21 nothing. Wow. With four minutes to go in the uh, first quarter, and, I, and the game was basically over at that point. Then they got out of it. Right. But, uh, I mean, you can't – Tubby. here's something I learned from Tubby Raymond. You can't scheme a scheme. Right. You know, he said they, that uh, – that's why they used to give away their playbooks and sell their playbooks. He said, by the time you figure all that out, you're going to be sitting on your heels and we're going to blow you out. I always tell my, uh, my, like my quarterback, I want him to react, not think. You know what I mean? I want him to re be a re – I want him to be – I don't want him to ride and decide and be a, a chess master like Bobby Fisher. I want him to be like Bruce Lee and just react to things. And I tell, tell every quarterback I ever coach, if you think, you stink. You know, you got to, it's got to be a reaction. Okay. Because you can't, it's just like coverages. You, you, uh, you know how many, and I'm, I guarantee you guys have been in the same staff meeting where you're arguing whether quarters are too soft. Yeah. The coverage. Or is that, is that man free or three? No. And you're going, running, and you got this little remote going back and forth trying to decide. The quarterback has that much time to figure it out. So we, we never taught him coverages. We taught him leverages. If he's deep, you throw short. If he's short, you throw deep. Mm -hmm. He's inside, throw outside. If he's outside, throw inside. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's pretty – all you got to do, if you want to see route conversions, go see your kids play on the playground. They'll show you how to route convert. Yep. So, anyway, those are some radical things, <laughs> I think. <laughs> Well, hey, coach. Let's talk a little bit about the operation of the gun, uh, the gun triple option. Like, first, okay. talk, talk to me about the snap. You know, I know we've talked to some guys here recently that they they'll do the regular gun snap or or the dead ball snap or maybe even a two handed snap. Can you kind of talk us through that? And then also, maybe your opinion on the debate of uh, we we talk to under center guys and they're like, man. We don't like the gun because it doesn't hit as fast, and it takes the quarterback's eyes off the read, you know, to catch the snap. Kind of, kind of your take on that, and how you feel the uh, maybe the read's a little easier for the uh, the quarterback and the gun. Um, and Let me tell you, in the, in the, gun, the gun Ray Charles can read it. 
<laughs> it's way easier. It's not even close. But here's a couple of things. We we want to we use the pendulum snap, a dead ball pendulum snap, easy snap in the world. As a matter of fact, we taught all our linemen to snap. The the because one of the things that I always believed in was I didn't want to be like a wing tee where wing tee tackles can't play guard. Right. I wanted everybody. I want the the offensive line to be interchangeable, and the reason for that is it creates depth. I'd rather have my sixth best lineman play than have to only have a guy who could play center play. You know what I mean? So I always had my whole line learn how to snap. And I thought that that was important, especially my first year at Charleston when we only had a handful of linemen. You know, I'm not going to dig down for a guy who just could snap and get killed, you know. So anyway, that was the first thing about the dead ball. And the second thing is uh, this part of the thing about uh, – hitting too fast and not fast enough and all that. The first thing is we square release on our offensive line, and we're going to double team every time on less. So, for example, our, say a veer tackle on a one and a five side. We're not going to come down on the backer and expose our back to that five technique. We're going to drive square through the breastplate of that five technique to the linebacker. So he can't blow up the mesh, number one. Number two, the aiming point of the tailback is, is uh, A-gap. So the quarterback's rule is this. If he's in a five, you to give the dive. If he's in a four, move your tackle out some more. And if he comes inside, don't decide, just go outside. Then it becomes double on the run. So that's how we adjust the splits. The triple, the quarterback's read is this. He's going to catch the snap, pivot, and his eyes are on the handoff key. And he's going to give every time unless that handoff key can put his head across the bow of the dive back. If he can, it's a give. And the he's going to give the ball early enough to the tailback that he can make a cut. So – if he's heading for a gap and he sees it clogged, he'll bend. He could bend it back to backside a gap, or he, if the say a three technique pinches, he can slide it out to frontside b gap. You know what I mean? So he's got a cavity to work with, and we're getting vertical push. We're we're not trying to create a crease. We're trying to knock people back with our double teams, and you know people say like, uh, well, what happens if you can't? You can't uh, uh, move him back with a double team. And I say, if he's that good, then him not making a play is going to help us. Like Nate Farley against Oregon one year demolished Oregon's offense because they tried to single block him. Right. Well, you know, we'll, we'll double team a guy. If we can't get good movement on him, at least he won't make a play. Mm-hmm. And and if you if you control the down lineman, Every good running back has a shot with a linebacker, but they don't have a shot with the down lineman. Right. The next thing that's really important with the gun triple is you can use a slower quarterback because he's running downhill at the pitch key. So under center, you know, these guys are, kind of make me laugh about the, the purest flex bone guys. You're gonna, the quarterback's got to run east and west first. Mm-hmm. He doesn't run north and south, so the play takes longer. In 
in the when you're in the gun triple, he's heading straight downhill at that pitch key. I mean, so if you feather it, he and he doesn't get five yards. He's he's uh, got a pulled hamstring or something. I mean, he that's an easy thing. It's you can't feather a downhill running quarterback. Right. So that's a huge, huge advantage. My first year at Charleston, we we had a kid who had never played quarterback in his life. I mean, never played the, never run the option in his life. He'd been a drop back quarterback. Before I got to Charleston, that's what they did. They threw all the time. Well, anyway, he was six four, about two twenty, and uh, I raced him in a twenty yard dash at fifty five years old, and beat him by a step for a, a chicken parm sub. <laughs> now I, I didn't have all my wheels at that time but he did race a pregnant lady and came in third that's all i'm going to say <laughs> but he we went eight and three with him at quarterback because he could run downhill and at 220 he was a load to tackle right you know what i mean and he's smart he could read and plus he had a rifle uh, a, a gun for an arm so I mean, we, we adapted to him, you know what I mean? But the gun triple was effective because he didn't have to – he could never in a million years have run under center because he could have never gotten that width east and west to get to the pitch key. But in the gun, he's running downhill. And as I said, it's, it's an easy read. And we tell the quarterback, better wrong than long, and when in doubt, give. I mean, it can't be easier than that. Right. And the, and and the, because it's so easy, we don't turn the ball over. You know, there's no no mesh fumbles at all. There's right? never a ride in the side, you know, give unless. So, and those guys that say it's it's just like this. When you're under center and I, I was under center for a long time, it's fastball. Bang. When you're in the gun, it's a cutter. So, Mariano Rivera's cutter wasn't as fast as, as uh, Araldus Chapman's fastball, but who would you rather have pitching in the ninth? Mariano or – right? Yeah, it's not up for debate, Coach. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> want the Hall of Famer to put, Mariano, put the ball in Mariano's hand and say, and, 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 win, and baby. See, for the same reason, under center, that tailback or that dive back is running that crease 100 miles an hour. It's and when when that play starts, there's not a guy on the defensive side of the ball that doesn't know where the ball is going. With this, that ball that ball might cut back into backside a gap or backside, and and now you've overrun the play, and there's no chance of that if you're under center. So you have a, a cutter from b gap to b gap on the dive alone. And then you have a downhill run to the pitch key. I mean, it's just a better play. I mean, I hate to say it that way, but it is. Yeah. Well, well it's interesting that you bring that up because we had Coach Abel on, uh, what, last week, I think, or a couple weeks ago at Davidson, and he was talking about the same thing, you know, getting vertical push and, and being able to allow – he he likes it slow because he, he wants those backs to be able to cut, just like you're saying. So – and they're doing pretty, and they're doing pretty good stuff. So, well, Coach yeah. McLeod, maybe you can help me with this uh, articulated correctly. Remember, we were talking with him and and uh, the front side read versus the back side read. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so so for me, Coach DeMeo, like in my mind, 
you know, when you're under center and you're you're running inside veer, midline, doesn't matter. It's all a front side read, right? So right. no backside read like the zone read stuff. And so we were talking and when Scott, you know, decided he was gonna go this route and everything when he was at Washington Lee, you know, his big thing was making sure he could marry it up with a front side read as opposed to a backside read. You know, it was really important to him and, and you know, he said some things that finally made the light bulb click in my mind because you know, it's like Tony and I talk all the time. You know, when you're a, you've been in a front side read concept, gap scheme, veer release concept for years, right? When you see guys you're basically going away from that and reading reading the backside, it's it's not foreign, but it's different, you know. And it, but it, it, he the way he explained it to me, and just like you just explained it here, you know, you can get in gun and read front side just like you do under center, right? And so, you know, for a guy that's, you know, living in that world, it's not the stretch or, or it's, it's not the uncomfortable part of it when you're going away from, you know, a gap scheme concept. Because, look, if you're going to double team, right, and you're going to get vertical, you know, those are still gap-type plays, you know what I mean? So Correct. And, that's, and that our, our, our blocking scheme is gap. Yeah. The play yeah. side tackle has B gap. It doesn't matter who's in it. Right. The backside, I mean, uh, the front side tackle has B gap. It doesn't matter who's in it. The front side guard has A gap. It doesn't matter who's in it. But mm-hmm. if there's nobody in it, he stays on a double team with the tackle. Yeah. So, for example, a three technique, he would take a wide split. He would double with the tackle on the three, eyeballing A gap. And he'll stay on the double team as long as A gap's open. Yeah. The center has backside A gap. And if it's if it's three technique backside, he'll double with the with the backside guard to B gap, and if B gap isn't threatened, the guard will stay on him. Backside tackle is C gap, and here's a here's a huge advantage that I found out my first year at running this at Washburn was that uh, I put a camera on a tripod from where a safety would be. And I was the only one who looked at it. In those days, it was VHS tapes. Mm-hmm. And I would look at it, and this, our, and then I talked to our safety about it when we scrimmaged in that spring. And one of the things was he couldn't tell the difference between run and pass because we were in a two-point stance, number one. So when you're on the center, and I know you do this and I did this, we'd always try to teach the – the linemen to keep their pads low so they could sell run. Well, it's hard to pass block that way. Yeah. But if you're in a two-point stance, it's easier to pass block, number one. And number two, it's harder to figure out whether it's a run or a pass. So when I was – when we played option teams, I would always tell our safety to read the backside tackle. If he blocked back, it was pass. If he blocked – if he tried to cut off, it was run. And then he would fill if it was run. Yeah. Well, with us, we, we turn back, we block back. He can't make that read anymore. Right. So there's very little difference between play action and pass blocking and gun triple blocking. All but one guy is the exact same blocks. Mm-hmm. The onside tackle is the only difference. Right. So quarterback ISO and play action pass is exactly the same. Makes sense. Same blocking I tell you, Coach, between RPO and the word duo, man, you could have been a zillionaire. I know. You know, I'm not. I'm going to tell you something. I'm not saying I'm going to. I I did a 
a, a retreat for Jim McNally. Mm -hmm. and, and he was intrigued beyond belief with this blocking scheme. And uh, the next thing I know, they're, they're talking about duo <laughs> and RPOs. And I'm saying, yeah. God, uh, I wish I had a clever name for these things. I know. You needed to copyright that stuff. I know. <laughs> well, Jim McNally took good care. I really think the oh, world yeah. of himself. Yeah. You know, it's funny. His, um, his sister, when I was at Grafton down in Yorktown, um, his sister um, taught. Uh, she was a teacher, and um, she, um, you know, he'd come down every now and then, you know, and see him. And uh, you know, we were—I guess we were in a faculty meeting one day, and she's like, "Hey, you, you might know my brother." You know, and I'm like, "I'm from South Carolina, you know, I'm not from around here." She goes, "Watch, oh, Natalie with," and I go, "What?" <laughs> he goes, yeah, he's going to be down here tomorrow. I go, where? She's like, well, at my house. I said, well, ma'am, if you don't mind, I'm going to be there. <laughs> <laughs> he said, oh, we don't care. That's why I told you about it. I, I went over there, and like you said, right, you, you don't really – and with him especially, you ask a question, and you just start writing because you don't know how long it's going to be. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, he's, he's in a full out of sweat going through everything. You but, know yeah, he used to have a retreat in Indiana. You know, he, and he had me come there two years, and I uh, spoke for a long time. But he, he was right there. I mean, he loved blocking scheme. And as a matter of fact, uh, at the cool clinic, Paul Alexander um, was talking about smart splits and used the term smart splits and uh, the double team on less things. And I, had a, I did a high school camp in Indiana, and uh, I got immediately got – text from coaches from that camp, that team and said, Hey, Paul Alexander's just talking about your smart splits and, you know, yeah. double teams and less. So yeah. it was kind of neat. Yeah. Absolutely. All tied together. Since I retired, I've done 66 high school camps, actually 67 camp, the one I did this year, but um, 66 camps where I go in for two days and install the, the gun triple in two days, the whole thing. And 56 of those 66 teams went to the playoffs the first year they ran it. Wow. Oh, that's awesome, Coach. Yeah. And one of them, one of them, a high school up here in upstate New York, Scotia Glenville, uh, was 3-27 and the previous three years and had a kid playing quarterback that hadn't played football since Pop Warner. And he was a sophomore. And they won the. They uh, went to the playoffs the first year. They went seven and three. And went to the playoffs, and then the next year they went further. And this guy, the guy who hadn't played football, was conference player of the year three years in a row. Wow! Running this offense. Wow! So I mean, I've just seen it. You know, it's simple, and it really it just works. I mean, it, it just works. I just I just remembered a random story about Jim McNally. I was. About 2012, I think, 2013, I was, I was trying to figure out how to coach shotgun snapping. I had no idea. I was always an under-center guy. And so I emailed the cool clinic guys. said, hey, I want to learn how to uh, shotgun snap. I can't find any resources or whatever. And all of a sudden, I get a phone call from Jim McNally on the telephone. Yeah. And wow. he's coaching me up on the telephone. Yeah. How to coach. He's like, just grab <laughs> something. Just grab something. And I'm like, yeah. uh, Okay. I grab a red solo cup and I'm learning how to shotgun snap with a red solo cup. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> it was awesome, man. I must have went like through three shirts with him. We just that one day, you know. I mean, he's we. I mean, he. He's like, get up. We gotta. You know, he's got. You know how he is, right? He's yeah. Saying, yeah. You know, he's in a full sweat. I mean, he's yanking the shirt. I mean, I must have had like three t-shirts I went through that whole time with him. But man, look at that. And uh, and I'll yeah, tell you, he, he helped me too to be able to be a better D-line coach. You know what I mean? Just listen to him talk about leverage and steps and eye placement. And and hat placement. Just listen to that. Made me a way better D line coach because I'll tell you another guy who's a great line coach is John Strollo. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you ever heard him. Yeah, yeah. John yeah. was Jimmy Pletcher at JMU with Przenicki when you were there. Yeah, yeah. He was the DC. Yeah, yeah. he was DC. I was the OC. Yeah, yeah. yeah Pletcher's a great guy. Yeah, I don't know what he's doing man. now. He so he he was at Pinecrest Prep School in Florida about. Six six years ago, uh, head football coach, um, and then um, he and Barbara decided that uh, they wanted to move closer to her kids there in Memphis. So he he's in Memphis. He's at uh, Christian Brothers. Um, they live over in Germantown. He's a counselor at uh, at Christian Brothers, and uh, he just just gave up coaching last year. Um, wow! Yeah. Yeah, Prasicki and I went way back. I mean, he was – we were good friends. And, uh, yeah, I was there with, with him. And, and uh, you know, it was it was, it was an interesting, interesting year, for, to say the least, because he, he uh, left coaching and then went to MBNA and got in the banking business. And uh, But uh, we had some really good athletes. We had a hell of a schedule. I mean, we played – Georgia Southern down there, and there was no punts in the game. Right. It was a, the whole game. There was it wasn't a punt, and uh, Tim Stowers was the coach down there at the time, and he did a great job. And we, and then years later, when I was at Richmond, we played uh, Rhode Island. Tim Stowers was there. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we had become friends, you know, from there, and so we're playing them in, in uh, Rhode Island, and. The, the little creek or river that runs next to the stadium, yeah. the dam broke, and it flooded the field. Yeah, it flooded the whole field. Yeah. We're, we're winning six nothing, and I saw it. I was in the press box, and I saw the water creeping onto the field. And I called a, a, a play action pass, and I told the the guy sending the play, and I said, "Tell this kid Boyd Uden, I said, tell him to just run down the shoreline, <laughs> run right along the mud." And the guy in the other headset said, I don't know what you're talking I said, you don't have to know. He, you'll know what I mean. Yeah. And that's what happened. The corner was in the splashing in the water, and he was on the, the land, and yeah. we caught a touchdown pass. So, but by the time I got down to the field, I couldn't get across it because the water was so high. I remember so that. I had to walk all the way around and had to – It was yeah, the story was on ESPN. And I pounded on the Rhode Island door, and Stowers – let me go through their locker room if I didn't look at their board. I my hands like this. I went through. <laughs> so anyway, so now we have to stay an extra day to finish the game on Sunday. Yeah, I remember that. So we had to get all new hotels. Looked, yeah, field looked like it. You know, it'd been through a. I mean, it was awful. Awful. That field. That field that. So we we had uh, we had to go uh, get a new hotel, 
and we had to give them our uniforms so they could wash them and have them ready for the next day. And they were great about it. And, and uh, so now we have to play on Sunday. And so Saturday night this is what I did. I took Jim Reed said, okay, guys, go to the, your rooms, watch some TV and enjoy the, you know, just t get to bed, you know, and lights out at 11 and all this stuff. So he, one of the coaches, he said, all right, coaches, you start working on anything that we have, you know, for the next game because we're going to be behind. Uh, so as soon as the, we broke, I got – I said, oh, offensive players, stay here. So I took them to the ballroom in the hotel, and we cleared all the chairs out from the ballroom, and I put in the wishbone in the ballroom that night. Oh, wow. Because, because – we weren't going to be able to get in motion and run the gun in that mud. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, in the flex bone, you can't we time up that motion, slopping around. Yeah. So I put in the wishbone that night and, uh, we ran just the triple. Yeah. With blocking the, the tight end, blocking on the man on the end, end man on the line. We ran the belly play, you know, the hand, second man through play. We ra just ran dive, base dive, and quarterback iso. Mm -hmm. Pretty simple. And uh, we put in play action pass, belly pass. So anyway, the next day, that's what we ran. And there was, I'll bet you there were, I'll bet you there were a hundred high school coaches there for that game on Sunday. That went there the day before because they wanted to see, like Sandy Ruggles was there and he, he said, oh, we want to see you in Stowers. You know, the, you know what? He said, but I didn't know you were going to be in the wishbone. They thought I was going to be in the gun. Right. You know, but we ran vanilla wishbone the whole day. So, and we won 26 nothing. Yeah. So anyway, after the game, Tim Stowers comes over. And he goes, hey, when, when the F did you put in the wishbone? And I said, last night in the ball. <laughs> last night. In the I said, last night in the ballroom. In the hotel, yeah. he goes, "You ever?" <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So we wound up winning. <laughs> anyway, well, coach, you may have mentioned it earlier here, uh, talking about the wishbone. Uh, I was going to ask you if you could talk a little bit about your toad concept, man. That's a that's a thing that has just been so intriguing to me, uh, where your tight end blocks the uh, uh, what man on the line. Yeah. Yeah, so so what we did was uh, when they outlawed the chop block, when I first started coaching the wishbone, the tight end could go inside but uh, uh, chuck the or chip the the defensive end, and then the the setback or the halfback could come in and chop the defensive end's legs. Right. Well, they outlawed that, so so rather, so now it became if if he didn't hit that defensive end, the defensive end would blow up the halfback. So what we did was we decided that it'd be better if we blocked the tight end on that defensive end. Uh, you know, if, if the tackle was covered, he blocked the man on him. If the tackle was uncovered, he blocked down inside. So in other words, if it was a, a 50 defense or a 6-1 or something, a goal line, whatever, he would block man on him any way he could, inside or outside. The halfback, if he was in a wing or or setback like a wishbone, but he would block C-gap. So if C-gap was open, he would seal to the inside backer. 
-hmm. If C gap was closed, he would uh, bounce around the tight end's block to the backer. Okay? So all he did was step back and read C gap. He's open, hit through there, and the, and the play side backer would never see him. Now, if the tackle was uh, uh, uncovered, like say a 4-3, we would double the three, and the tight end, instead of um, toe with Ted, he'd go to the Sam to Mike. The, the wing back or the, the halfback would block Sam to the safety. In other words, if the tight end blocked him, he would go up to the safety. If the tight end went to Mike, he would block the Sam. We would read the end and pitch off the corner. And that was, that was the two plays that we had. We, so we ran it with the tackle uncovered or with the tackle covered. And if he was covered, we toted it. If he was uncovered, we tetted it. Yeah. And that's how we did it. Yeah. But on the goal line, it was great. We even did that when I went to Delaware. Uh, we put in the wishbone and ran toad on the goal line. Uh, and uh, it worked great. Tubby loved it because it was yeah. so easy. Yeah. Delaware is one of the reasons why that chop box got, got out. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I mean, know. they were nasty, man. Well, t Texas, when, when I was at Texas, that's the way they blocked it. He, that tight end would come through the breastplate of the defensive end, and the halfback would come down and just take his outside leg out. Yeah, God. Devastating block. Oh, it was nasty. Golly. Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. That was one uh, that was one uh I was actually glad they, they did take that block out. Yeah, you guys were lethal with that Delaware. I mean lethal. Man. And if you didn't yeah. practice during the week, boy, you your kids got I mean they <laughs> they were they didn't have they didn't want any parts of that. So. Well, Del Delaware is an interesting thing for me because the year that I was there, 1989, we did not run a guard trap the entire year or a tackle trap the entire wow. year. And the reason was because was Tubby didn't like the guard trap anymore. That's why he wanted to put the, gun, the triple in. Okay. Because he said that teams could uh, wrong arm the trap and make it bend too much. Right. And they would only get two yards at the most. Right. So it, it they eliminate the, the wrong arm technique eliminated the trap. So we never ran a trap the entire year that I was at Delaware. We ran gut where we uh -huh. pulled both guards yep. and the influenced the like the three technique. Right. And just came, folded in up, up on the mic. Well we never ran trap. And then the tackle trap, he said, uh, you're gonna you're gonna hate this. He said that they won't, we didn't want to run it because it was there's too many nuances to it, and you don't run it enough to 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 uh, uh, warrant all the nuances of blocking right. it. Mm -hmm. right. So, but we ran counter bootleg at least two or three times a game. So I asked him one day on our lunch walk. I said, "Tubby, how come we keep calling counter bootleg when we don't even run the the counter trap, the boot, the uh, tackle trap?" And he said. <laughs> Those defensive guys are going to have that guy follow the tackle anyway. We don't even have to run the play. <laughs> so <laughs> we never did, but we ran counter bootleg a lot. Yeah. You know, the, especially down on the goal line. He loved it down on the goal line. Yeah. Well, Coach, we, we got a good buddy uh, down in Louisiana, Scott Dietrich. 
And um, I told him we was going to be talking to you tonight. And he, he, he said, man, you got to mention Sally and Counter ISO, man. Get me some coaching points on Sally and Counter ISO. Those are wing Sally, teams type plays, right? Yeah, Sally was a great play. And what, when I, before I went to the gun, we ran it. It was one of, our, one of our good plays. But when I went to the gun, we didn't need an inside counter anymore because it was already built into the gun triple. That was one of the great things. We didn't have to teach Sally. Under center, Sally was a great inside counter. But um, the key thing to Sally was, for me, was when I went to Delaware, one of the things I changed, and they listened to me, was when they ran Sally, it was a very flat handoff. Mm -hmm. So the Sally guy would run basically, it was almost like, it was almost like a, a kind of an inside reverse where it would wind up on, back on the backside B gap or C gap. And, and the problem with that was it was, it was a great play, but the, the halfback only had a one way go. So in other words, he, he was, he was running laterally before he ever turned up. So my suggestion was that we make him take it back and round it. So it hit up inside. So he had a, with his shoulders parallel to the line of scrimmage, so he had a two-way go and could read it like a, like a draw play almost. You follow? Yeah. And, and we start running it off sprint out and off, you know, uh, and, and off the, the down play because the quarterback would get deep enough to hand him back the ball. But he would actually hit, start hitting it up with square shoulders. And that, that really makes the play a lot better because now – he has a two-way go inside, where before he didn't. So now that's, we, that's my that's my coaching points for Sal. Were, <laughs> did you did you change it to an over-the-top handoff, or was it still underneath? No, it was still underneath. The quarterback okay. Would like uh, reverse out. He would it, like he would fake the uh, the down, down mm -hmm. and then just hand the ball off with the guy coming right back around. Right. But I really liked it off like sprint out where he would sprint out and just hand the ball back to the guy. Right. You know, we'd send the backside guy in motion like we were going to sprint out, you know, uh, with him being a lead blocker, and then hand the ball back to the uh, the, the front side slot. That was really good. That's that's an intriguing play. The, the draw just in general is just an intriguing play to me. I haven't mastered it yet, but I want to so bad. You know, and, uh, Sally's that same wheelhouse, you know. Yeah. Well, you know, the, one of the things I copied from Sally is that I literally copied this from the wing T guy from Tubby and added it to the gun triple was he, here's, uh, I'll give you the, uh, an exact thing. Well, when you, when you run gun triple and backside, like, as I said, it's ga gap blocking, you know, backside guard has backside B gap, backside tackle has backside C gap. Well, that's all well and good, but if, if the backside end gets head up on the tackle or inside shade, uh, he can't cut that guy off. I mean, I mean, maybe if he's good and the other guy stinks, but I never fashioned my offense to beat a, a cupcake. You right. can beat them right. doing anything anyway. Right. Right. So the problem was if he got inside and couldn't cut that guy off, he could take away our cutback by our tailback. So here's what we did. We Sally blocked it. He would call into the guard and say, smoke, 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 or whatever 
signal he wanted to make. And that, that would tell the guard, look, you have to block him. You have to block this tackle. I can't block him with his uh, defensive end, right? So what he would do, but in Sally blocking, you don't just let that guy go because he'll get penetration if you step out to C-gap. You know what I mean? Even if that guy's on the line of scrimmage in C-gap. So what we did was we would take him and deliver him to the guard. We wouldn't let him loose on the guard. We would take him and deliver it while eyeballing C-gap. Mm -hmm. So he would stab this guy and, and ride him down, pivot, and pick up anybody off C-gap. Mm -hmm. The guard would, would be in A-gap, doubling with the, the center, right? And would vault off the nose guard and almost trap that backside pincher mm -hmm. that, the ta that the guy was delivering to. Then he would smash that guy. And now you had a crease with the tackle on anybody off the edge, the guard creating a crease inside, and now that that maintained the cutback. Right. So that was uh, I got that. To, that's exactly the way Sally works. Right. That's why I stole it from Sally. Yeah. And it worked great with the and it works great on pass protection. I use the same exact technique on pass protection. So you get everybody picked up. No, I, that's that's wonderful. I, I see it clearly what you're saying. That that makes total sense, and and there'll be a lane for that running back there uh, to hit it like a gap, right? Yeah, he he just goes, he just runs his normal course, but now he if he does cut back, he has a a, a seam to run through, an alley to run through. That's awesome. Well, coach, I know you uh you're up doing a little vacation and. Uh, <laughs> we we can't thank you enough for coming on and uh well, I, had a, I had a good time with you guys. Yeah, it was fun. It, it really was. Um but before we go I I would be remiss if we didn't talk to the listeners like you know if they want you to run a camp or you know where, how do they get in touch with you coach? How, you know, they go to your website. Well, they, they can, yeah, they can go on my website tonydemayo.com. It's free. You know, uh I always tell people I, I run a nonprofit wasn't meant to be, but it is a nonprofit. <laughs> but anyway, uh, they they can they can see me uh, or just call me. Uh, my uh, cell is eight zero four three three nine two eight four two, and they can call me even if they don't want to have a camp or a clinic or whatever. Even if they just want to talk some football, they're more than welcome. That's awesome. That being able to pay it forward, right, Coach? It makes a big difference. Yeah. Well, as I said, I mean. When I think back at all the things I stole from everybody else, you know, I mean, yep. uh, you know, somebody once said there's no new new ideas. It's just, you know, another way of packaging it. And uh, yep. like, for example, the flash pass that I talk about all the time. Well, Mouse Davis and uh, Tiger Ellison used to have an auto pass backside. And again, I kind of stole that from them. So. Yep. And I go to think about it, I'm really not too innovative after all. I'm basically a, <laughs> a pirate. Or I'm more of a thief than an innovator. Yeah, we all are. We you, all know are. What you, you know what you are, though, Coach? I mean, just sitting here talking with you for the last hour, you're a hell of a teacher, man. Yeah. You know, oh, I mean, thank you very much. Yeah, you, you just I that. Yeah, I mean, you just explain things so crystal clear and just make it so easy on, on the quarterback and, uh, you know, with your little rhymes to memorize and uh, – uh, you're just a hell of a teacher, man. Well, you know where I got that from, Dr. Seuss. 
I have four daughters, and I read that stupid cat in the hat crap for, for a lot of years, but I could remember it. And I figured out that if you rhyme stuff, you remember it, you know? So that's why I start rhyming things, so the kids would remember. It's funny that uh, they – like, for example, I, I one of my rules was throw a long ball long and a short ball short. And uh, I had one quarterback who's now a surgeon – he called it LBL, SBS, and uh, he and it, uh, I was. It was my birthday, July fifth, and he said, "Are you still teaching LBL, SBS? <laughs> long ball, long short, ball yeah. short." Yeah, it's amazing so, what the kids remember, isn't it? Yeah, they do. They yeah. do. They do. Well, listen, enjoy the Berkshires, and like I said, we we really appreciate you coming on and catch yeah. fish for us, right? Oh, yeah, I told you, I use rubber worms. The only problem is I catch rubber fish. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, take care, and as I said, send me the link, and yep. I'll put that on my website of this so people can can listen in and, uh, you know. Uh, well, they're going to learn uh, something. They're going to learn something. We really appreciate it. That's going to wrap this episode of the Mesh Point Podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. You can download or listen to our podcast at iTunes, Spotify, or the Google Podcast app. You can go on and rate us if you think we're any good and leave us some comments that you might think uh, you'd like to hear about in future episodes. Again, I'm Matt McLeod. You can reach me on Twitter at RunTheTriple. Again, that's at RunTheTriple. Our Mesh Point podcast uh, has its own Twitter page. And that is at the mesh point again at the mesh point you can also find me on flexbonenation.com i have an option blog there and write articles and have plays uh, that can help you out particularly during the season all right tony i want you to let the listeners know how they can get you on social media all right guys go to three face football on twitter at three face football and uh you'll you'll be able to follow my account and uh the cool thing about it is, is every Monday we do something called Mesh Point Monday, and basically I'll post out four questions concerning a triple option topic. And it's a great opportunity for coaches all around uh, the country and uh, to, to get together and network and and uh, get to know each other and you know talk about some kind of triple option topic. So catch uh, catch that every Monday, eight o'clock Eastern. And uh, what you want to do is search the hashtag Mesh Point to see everybody's responses uh, to to the four questions. Uh, like I said, great, great way to uh, build our networks and, and, and learn some things. It's like an ongoing webinar on Twitter, so it's real cool. Also, check out the website, threefacefootball.net. Uh, we've got some cool gear, like Fear the Veer, you'll see in the background here. Uh, Fear the Veer stuff, uh, mesh point gear, and, and other things like that. So uh, go check out that website as well.